So I hope you've had a good afternoon of practice on this last day of 2020. We can all celebrate. We celebrated it coming in and we can celebrate it going out. Um, so it's been a, an intense year for many people challenging year and unexpected many unexpected challenges and uh, we're all here we made it through we maybe learnt something and if not we certainly have um, we must have used some strength and some good heart and uh, had a bit of faith that's seen us through uh, a year of many challenges. So this is something to feel good about, something to appreciate. I feel like the you know the the Dhamma and the meditation practice is such a an essential tool, really, for for getting through difficult times. And I know it's not been available to everybody; not everybody's open to it. So uh, that's something that leaves me with a little sorrow you know that uh, you know that we can't learn in school how to work with our minds you know we learn how to use our mind and uh, make it work for us but we don't learn how to take care of our heart and mind and that can lead to all kinds of problems which i know have, has been the case for many people over this year more than more than usual and uh, we've we're still here, so some of us have made it through. Many, many of us. And uh, you know, it's it's been a year of isolation for many people, uh, but it's also been a year that's that's brought many of us together through in this way, you know, through Zoom, that we can have access to resources and we can speak to each other in ways that we might not have before when we were able to move around and uh, and it's also been a, a year of division in many ways particularly I would say in America and I think also in the U UK quite a lot of polarization and division and and uh, sense of othering and opposites so you know it's very important to use our practice to bridge those divisions you know we're not meant to be creating more greater uh, separation but to understand our interconnectedness more and more deeply through the practice and how we affect each other and how we are part of each other and how we all basically wish for the same thing regardless of, of anything regardless of our political um, leanings, regardless of our age or health or ability, disability, race, gender, sexual orientation, all of that. Regardless of all of that, we basically, human beings, and I think most beings, want to be well, want to be happy, want to be safe, and want that those we love have those things too. So, you know, we're, we're basically all 
wanting the same thing and, and people have very different ways of going about it. But if we can come back to that essential commonality amongst us all, it's, it's a very important beginning place because uh, it's there that we're, we're kith and kin, you know, we're, we're together. And that can be the beginning of, of healing and transformation. So these Brahma-viharas that we're teaching on during these days are a beautiful support for healing and for transforming that sense of separation and, and otherness, othering. And they are aligned with the path, the path of awakening. So I wanted to share um, a parable that uh, is in the that we found in the in the Diganikaya in the long discourses of the Buddha, and it's in a sutta <coughs> which oh that's no, actually in the Anguttara Nikaya sorry it's, it's in the Anguttara Nikaya the, the um, The numerical Number. discourses. Mm-hmm. And I have shared this before, but I, I wanted to share it again. So it's on, there are two suttas, one next to each other, on the removing resentment. Because I feel like as we come to the end of a year, you know, there may be, you know, there may be resentments that we've carried over these months, you know, watching the political arena or uh, the racial oppression that's become more obvious for those of us who weren't living in it day day by day before. Um, it may be also within families, you know, if you're stuck in the, well, sheltering, sheltering in place with your family and, and you don't really want to be with each other that much all the time, resentments can arise, you know. So, uh, or, or maybe, you know, to do with your workplace, Maybe you've lost your work through the the pandemic, <clears throat> and resentments can arise. And resentment is a is a you know it's an obstacle for for you for us for the one who has it. So, just in case it may be that none of you have even a trace of resentment, which would be wonderful. But just in case you have a little bit or a lot on your heart at the end of this year. And it can also be to oneself. We can also resent ourselves for not being as perfect as we'd like ourselves to be. So in just in case you may be holding a little resentment, I wanted to offer this, share this uh, teaching that the Buddha gave. So... Uh, So there are two suttas. The first one's very short, and then he just where he mentions five ways of removing resentment. It's more general. So the first one is to develop metta for the person you resent. The second is to develop karuna, compassion for that person. The third is to develop upeka, 
equanimity for that person. The fourth is to disregard them, that person, and pay no attention to them. And the fifth is to reflect that we are all the owners of our karma. This was one that I reflected on a lot over this year, seeing some of the things that were going on in the world. It's like, oof, if people knew, if people knew what they were doing, they may be acting very differently. They're all the owners of our karma. So that's like the the short version. And then there's a, a slightly different sutta right afterwards called Removing Resentment, where he lists five kinds of people. So the first person is honest in speech, has good speech, but does bad things, not, not good action. And the second person has bad speech, but does good things. So maybe isn't honest, doesn't lies, but does good things in the world. The third person has unskillful speech and does bad things. But from time to time, their mind opens and they experience some serenity and insight. And their, and their mind becomes more peaceful and some faith arises just for a little while. So they have these little openings. And the fourth person, kind of person, is unskillful in body and in speech and does not have an opening of mind where serenity and insight arise or faith arise. And then the fifth person is pure in body and speech and sometimes has this opening of mind where serenity and insight arise and the mind becomes peaceful, and there is faith in the heart. So he lists these five kinds of people, and then he gives these images of, of how to res- relate to these people. So that sort of pretty much kind of covers everyone, I would say. So he says, for the first person who is honest in speech, but you know does harmful things, he says, imagine that you're um, a rag-robe mendicant. So the, the monastics in the Buddha's time would gather scraps of cloth and you'd always be looking out for a bit of cloth, you know, to patch your robe or to make a new robe. So you're a rag-robe mendicant and you're walking on the road and you see a piece of cloth lying on the road. And some of it's really rotten and dirty, but there's a part of the rope that's still good. It's, it's still clean and it's cleanish and it's uh, in good condition so then he says you 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 get that piece of um cloth with your foot you hold it down with one foot so you're not even going to touch it with your hands but you hold it down with one foot and you spread it out with the other foot and then you kind of use your feet to tear the rotten bit off and then you pick up the good bit and you take it away and you and you clean it up and you you make good use of that so he's saying you know you uh Use, essentially you use your discernment of what is good and what is not good and you you acknowledge like that they're doing harmful things but you appreciate the goodness that they have, this person has. You appreciate they're honest in their speech. They have some goodness. So you're not dwelling on what is wrong. You're dwelling on what is good and knowing what is wrong but dwelling on what is good. And then the second person, the one who has... Uh, unskillful speech but good actions does good things 
is like described like a pond covered in algae. And you're tired and you're thirsty and you come to that pond and you sweep aside the algae and dip your hand in and drink the good water that's underneath. So this is uh, how the Buddha recommends relating to someone who's, you know, maybe lies, you know, has bad speech, but is does good things in the world. So again, you 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 know what's what. You don't just drink the algae, you know. You know to keep away from that which is going to harm you, but you also appreciate the good that's there. You drink from that. You appreciate it. And not, and I, my sense is this is saying not just that you take what's good, but you mirror back what's good. You, you let the person know that you appreciate what's good. So this is another way of removing resentment. And then the third kind of person's unskillful both in body and in speech. But from time to time their mind opens to serenity and insight and some peacefulness arises and there's a faith that comes with that. So this, I love this image, this is um, an image of a little puddle and you're walking along and you're thirsty and there's this little puddle in the mud and you want to drink from it but if you cup your hands and take the water it's going to stir up all the mud so you don't want to do that. So the Buddha says you get down on your hands and knees and you put your head down to that puddle and you slurp up the water. so that you don't disturb the mud. I love that image. You get right down there on your hands and knees and you slurp that little bit of water up. There's not much. There's lots of mud. But you get that little bit that's good. So this is how the Buddha recommends relating to someone who has you know, very little, very few good qualities, but, but, but a few. So again, instead of dwelling on what's you know, it's not a it's not a pond, it's not it's not you know, it's not clean, it's not good enough. It's like okay, there's a little bit of good there. I'm gonna take that in and, and let that nourish me, and appreciate it. So I see it with that uh, great uh, care and, and compassion. And then the fourth kind of person is unskillful in body and speech and does not have an opening of mind or peacefulness of mind that leads to faith. Not looking good. So for this person, the Buddha says, have compassion as you would have for someone on a long journey who is far from a village or town and who is gravely ill. So imagine you're meeting somebody on a journey, you're going one way, they're going the other way. It's a long way that the next town is far, far ahead of them and the last town is far, far behind them and they're ill and they're on this long journey and you know that they're not going to get any help for a long time and they're going to suffer and it's going to be difficult. So you have compassion for that person and you wish, oh, may they abandon their unwholesome actions, so that they can be free from this affliction. So, you know, even if somebody can't find anything good to say about them, instead of uh, letting them be a an object of resentment in your heart and mind, they become an object of compassion, and that you genuinely wish, not pity, 
but a genuine wish for them to be free of the afflictive states that they're caught in, that they may think are are great. You know, the ego can really mistake what is afflictive for what is good. So they may think that they're doing great, that they're powerful, important, successful, but actually they're like a sick person on a long journey far from any habitation, far from any help. So recognizing that... uh, That's the the suffering that's beneath um, what can uh, you know the worldly. Sometimes I'm not, I'm not saying that all worldly success is is um, harmful and not at all can be used very well, but it can also be used to just to you know get a bigger ego and to have power over other people and uh, to have attention for oneself and you know that it's not actually serving anybody. So if you find that there's somebody like this in your world in any way, to have compassion and to wish, may they abandon their unwholesome actions so that they can be free and know the true happiness that's not dependent on those things. And the fifth person is pure in speech and conduct, has good speech and conduct, and sometimes has an opening of mind that leads to serenity and insight. And the mind becomes peaceful from time to time and faith arises. So the image for this is like uh, when one's been on a long journey and you're tired and thirsty and you come across a beautiful pond of clear, cool spring water. And then you just plunge into that pond and you, and you immerse yourself and you drink and you swim and you play and then you get out of the pond when you're done and you rest on its banks and you enjoy the beauty of that pond, that water, that moment. So this is um, how to remove resentment for one who is, you know, who is successful and well and wholesome and good and, you know, you may you may know someone like that and, and then you feel resentment towards them because you, you don't feel like that yourself. So the Buddha is saying, have mudita, have mudita, and then you will quench your thirst, you'll enjoy the the goodness of that person. So these uh, five ways of removing resentment, I think they're, they're a beautiful guidance that the Buddha gave us. And uh, like I said, you know, when we dwell with resentment, it's a, it's a burden for ourselves. And it's unpleasant for others. You know, it's unpleasant to be the, the object of other people's resentment, and it's unpleasant to have resentment for others. And and, uh, and then if we have resentment for ourselves, then it's kind of layers of, of complication, isn't it? So, um, you know, we have some agency around how we use our minds, body, speech, and mind. So, you know, first of all, we remove, we, we learn, we recognize when a resentment is present. You know, part of this, part of this teaching is, is pointing to the process of self. So I wanted also to mention this, you know, that the, the, the teaching that we're giving 
on the Brahma Viharas, it's, uh, you know, it can be taken as a, a way to make life sweet, you know, to be happier, definitely. But it's, it goes much further than that. You know, it can, it can take the, it can be a, a way, like the Buddha's teaching is very radical. You know, he's, he's not just asking us to, develop ourselves and 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 um you know make our our lives more skillful though he is he is saying that he's saying when you're doing unwholesome things let's stop doing those things they they hurting you they're hurting others do what is beneficial to you and to to the rest of the world you know and uh so he is talking about um transforming how we are. But it isn't just to be a good person. It isn't just so that we can be a good person, have a happy life, but it's kind of, he's asking us to go way beyond ourselves. Literally, way, way, way beyond ourselves. So there's what we think we can do, and who we think we are, and what we think we can manage, and then there's what the Buddha is pointing to, which is like way, way bigger than that. So the Brahma Viharas, they're immeasurable. They are boundless. They are beautiful. And we might feel like, yeah, but I'm not like that. I'm, I'm, you know, I've got all these flaws and I've, I'm like, I do all, I've done all these bad things in the past. And, you know, we can have all these stories about ourselves that, that tell us why we can't touch those immeasurable places in the mind but the we don't have to make our personality perfect in order to experience these states it's not about our personality it's asking us to go beyond that so in a way these uh, the Brahma Viharas do that and those practices about removing resentment, you know, from a personality perspective, we can say, no, I need to, I don't, I want to, I need to, you know, keep that resentment towards that person, that, that we can defend ourselves, you know, we can stay in a position of defensiveness, of, of caution, of aversion. And that's the position of the ego. It's, it's a protect, it's tr- the ego trying to protect itself. And, you know, as long as we feel vulnerable and weak, then in some ways that's, that's appropriate. But these practices that the Buddha's pointing to take us past those vulnerable, weak places into a place of, of openness and interconnectedness and wholeness in a way, wholeness and emptiness. So it's not just about, yeah, I really want to say it's really not just about being a good person. It's, it's going way, way beyond that. And there'll be moments where we experience that, where the, the mind is, in a state that we could not create through our intellect or through our will. And we may find ourselves responding to things in ways that we never thought we could. 
you know, with, with greater generosity, greater courage, greater uh, centeredness than we ever imagined we could have. And this is the result of, of continuous guiding and training on the spiritual path. It guides us beyond ourselves to something greater. And we always come back, you know, we do come back to this little me, this little me and my personality and all my flaws and those things that irritate people about me. You know, that all, that's, we'll all come back to those things and the things that people appreciate and their little quirks, you know, that's, that's all going to be there. But there can be these places, or there can be this place in the practice that is greater than any of that. There is this place that is greater than any of that. So part of this uh, process of transformation is, you know, letting go. It's like using discernment, so the removing resentment, the suit on removing resentment is put into discernment, being, using, it's a quality of wisdom, and cultivating what is wholesome, putting energy into what is good. It's particularly pointing to that. And then we also have to learn how to let go of what we don't need anymore. It's both of those things. So there's a, another story which is in the Diga Nikaya. Uh, it's called, a, it's, it's called a debate with a skeptic, where the Buddha's debating, um, with uh, a prince who has uh, quite strong views that are very different to what the Buddha is teaching. And he gives the, these various parables, to, the Buddha gives these various parables to try to help this prince understand that he's, uh, he's holding to a view that's not going not gonna to lead him to any, any insight or any peace. And so he gives this, uh, the Buddha tells this story about these two people who live in a, in a village and they're quite poor and their families are quite poor and they're good friends and then they one day get together and they say, hey, what if we go to that other village that, that's a few miles, you know, like 25 miles away and of course it will all be on foot and uh, see whether we can find something of value, you know, something, something worth a bit of money on the way there and maybe we can sell that and get a little bit of money and bring it back for our families and they'll be you know, pleased with us because times are hard. So off they go, these two friends, and, and after, a while, after a while they come to the edge of a village and they find a heap of hemp, the kind that you make rope out of, not the kind you smoke. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they, they pick up this hemp and they bundle it all up and they put it on their heads because that's how you carry things in India. And they, they walk off and they think, oh, maybe I can... Maybe I can, uh, we can sell this and we can make a little bit of money and, and all will be well. And they can take that back for our families and they'll be delighted. And then as they keep going, they come across a heap of hemp rope. So it's hemp that's already been made into rope. So one of them says, Oh, that's great. You know, that's, that's actually worth more than just the raw hemp. So he takes down, or they take down the, the heap, the bundle of hemp from their head and they pick up the, the rope. And then the other one says, no, you know, I have this bundle now. I've been carrying it a long way and it's really nicely tied up and I'm just going to keep this. 
And then the other one says, okay. So off they go, one with his, one with their um, heap of bundle of hemp and the other one with rope. And then they go a bit further and they come across um, some uh, linen, some linen and they, that's not yet been made into any kind of thread. And so one see, the one who's got the hemp rope, he says, oh, this is worth more than the rope. So puts down the rope, picks up the linen. And then the other one says, well, you know, my my heap of hemp is, is good. You know, it's, it's nicely tied up and I've been carrying it all this way. I'm going to keep this. So on they go and then they keep coming across another pile of stuff, another pile of stuff, you know, first linen and then cotton and then silk and then and then they start finding metals they find iron and then they find copper and then tin and lead and each time you know the one of them puts down what they have and picks up the new thing that they find which is more valuable and then the other one says no i'm just going to stay with what i've got it's a good bundle it's well tied up i'm just going to keep it and then they even get as far as finding silver and gold. And then one keeps on letting go of what they had that was valuable, but is not as valuable as what they find. And the other one holds on to what they're familiar with. And then, so they end up with one who has a heap of gold and the other who has a heap of hemp. Not the kind you smoke. Not worth very much. And so they take it back to their village. And uh, the one who had the, you know, ended up with the gold, you know, their family's all delighted. It's like, and they, they're able to, you know, make a nicer house and help out in the village with school. And, you know, they can do all kinds of good things. So everybody's so happy with that person. And then the one who comes back with just the hemp, their family, his family remains poor. The miserable, and the spouse is really annoyed, and and they, have, they you know don't have a very good life. So this is uh, you know pointing to what we can do when we hold on to our views, or hold on to what's familiar. You know we we don't want to let go of what we know in order to pick up something else, and we can do that. You know it can it can be tightly held onto our view, and it's like. This is such a good view and it's so nicely. I love the way in actually in the sutta where he speaks about it's been so nicely bound, you know, it's bound up so nicely. I'm going to keep this. And it's like, yeah, I've taken all this time to make it all lie nice for myself. I'm not going to let that go now. And, and we can do that. We hold on to our views of what we, you know, how we think other people are or, or how we think the world should be or whatever it may be or even how we are. And we hold on to them and we're not willing to let them go for something better. For something that will actually bring us, and not just us, but those we care about, greater well-being and joy. So in this, uh, in this parable, it's, you know, it's material things. Linen and cloth and metals and gold and you know, it's, it's these things, but in our lives, often it's uh, it's what we're what we're carrying in our hearts and minds. So are we just carrying a heap of not very useful stuff? 
Or have we maybe let go of some and picked up some other good things and then, but we don't want to take it any further because maybe we're a bit afraid that we mustn't put that down because it was better than what we had before, you know, it can be like that too. And in the way the Buddha's saying, just keep, keep going, keep going, keep going. Keep letting go, keep picking up what's, keep developing what's good, keep letting go of what's no, no longer useful. Keep going, keep going. So each of you will have your own way of interpreting these stories and how they may relate to your own lives or not. I think they're pretty universal. And, uh, you know, this is a time today, the, the last day of 2020, to really take the opportunity to look at what's, uh, what, you know, what are you carrying on your head? Is it really serving you? Is it really valuable? Do you want to put it down and pick up something of more that's more precious? So we're just... Uh, as I sit here, the curtains are open and I'm looking out and it's just, the light is just fading here. I had a look at the horror here on, in California. We're just coming to the, you know, the sun must have set by now and then the, the dusk is coming on the last day of 2020. And, you know, we have these um markers you know so we have the new year and in different countries new year is celebrated at diff quite different times very different times and so you know it's it's not a, a real thing it's a, a way of marking the a beginning of the ending of one thing and the beginning of something new potentially and of course, it's really just another day. It's like when we're, you know, when we have a birthday, when we're little, it means everything. I'm four, you know, it's like a really big deal. <laughs> and then when we're like 44, maybe not so much. And maybe when we're like 84, we're like, who's mm, counting, you know? So uh, it doesn't, and then, you know, it's just another day, you know, it's not so different. And so it's kind of like that. It's just another day. And yet it's also a, a possibility to to recollect and see where we are and see what we want to let go of what we want to cultivate how we can uh, move forward in a way that that has that is conscious and, and has some clarity and intention and you know every day can be like that I wouldn't want to uh, say that one has to wait. 365 days, or 364 days to do that. You can, we can do it every day, which is wonderful, but it's, it's easy to, to, to let things slide or to, uh, you know, just get on with our lives and not be really paying attention. So we can make much of this opportunity. And it's also, uh, yesterday anyway, was the, the full moon. 
Yesterday or the day before? Day before. Day yeah. before. Two days ago was the full moon. So the moon's still bright. Last night I slept, uh, night before last, slept out in the yurt. And the moon shone in the, this little window at the top and the moon was shining in. It felt almost like morning through the whole night. And uh, so the, the full moon is also a beautiful opportunity to do this, actually. Every moon, every full moon, if you notice the moon, if you're in a place where you can see the moon, the full moon is a good time to rec- to to have a um, to re-establish your commitment and your intention and your practice, and to uh, see what you want to let go of and and put energy into what you can't want to cultivate. So it's a lovely opportunity. So that's what I wanted to offer tonight, and. Uh, um yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.